Welcome to Wonderland, the podcast where I go down the rabbit hole to research things you may be curious about. My name is Ami, and I'll be your guide on this trip to Wonderland. Hi, and thank you for joining me for another trip in Wonderland. So far, we've discussed the origins of podcasts and the moon. Today, we're going to take a look at colors. When I did the episode on podcast, I asked other people what kind of pods they listened to, but I didn't tell you all what I listened to. Well, one of the shows that I have enjoyed so many episodes of is Radio Lab. It was a Radio Lab episode on colors, which first aired in May of 2012, that I listened to that had me hooked on podcasts. It's a really well done episode and it's so informative. One of my favorite pieces of entertainment ever. So while today I'm going to do an episode on colors, I invite you to go listen to the colors episode on Radiolab for really, really amazing information. So the question that got me started down this particular rabbit hole was, how do people know red means stop? Has it always meant stop? What other colors convey meanings with no other hints or instructions? So join me as we dive into a colorful episode today. I wonder. 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 Let's start with the basics. Do you know what the colors of the rainbow are? Purple, blue, green, yellow, orange, red. Growing T bibs so red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. How did you know that? Hold on. Do you know an acronym? Yeah. I'm trying to think of it. Forget what it is. Roy-ge- Roy-ge- <laughs> Roy G. Biv? Yeah. <laughs> Roy G. Biv. Red. Roji Biv, isn't that it? So red, blue, green, violet, orange, yellow, blue. Okay. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, I believe violet, then in the go. Roji Biv. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. Red, orange, yellow, blue, indigo, violet. No, I'm missing something. Green. You don't know an acronym to help you remember yes, that? Yes, I forgot his middle initial. Yellow, blue, red, orange, purple, indigo, isn't it? Did they have Roy G. Bib when you were growing up? What? I guess not. Must be new. That's right. Many of us have heard of good old Roy G. Biv. While it sounds like the name of someone you might know, it's actually an acronym and mnemonic device to help people remember the colors in the rainbow. Red orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. While there's some disagreement about whether or not indigo should be included, it's widely accepted amongst most scientists to include it. As children, when we draw rainbows, we typically color with these seven distinct colors. But a look at the full spectrum shows that these colors actually bleed into their adjacent colors, creating a slew of other colors. The reason we settled on seven colors is an interesting topic in and of itself, but I think we'll say Pythagoras and the number seven for a future episode. So we know there are seven colors in the rainbow, but do you know what the primary colors are? Um, that would be, oh gosh, <laughs> off the top of my head. Um, 
it's yellow, red, and blue. Red, yellow, and blue. Red, yellow, blue. Red, yellow, blue. Red, yellow, and blue. Red, blue, and yellow. Red, green, and blue. Or red, yellow, and blue if we're talking about art class. I didn't realize it when I asked it, but it turns out that this one was kind of a trick question. While most people can spout off red, yellow, and blue as the primary colors, like we learned when we were kids, that only actually really applies to art. In physics and light, the primary colors are red, green, and blue. I'm not going to dive into the science on this one because truly, I could never do better than the Radio Lab episode. Seriously, go listen. But let's overly simplify it and say this has to do with how light enters our eyes, either from a light source or reflected from an object. This creates additive and subtractive color mixing. The additive color mixing is the red, blue, and green primary colors. You may have had some experience with this with your TV settings, RGB. If you're old enough, at some point you may have had cables from your VCR to your TV that included RGB cables. If you go to live shows, you may see that colored stage lighting is red, green, and blue overlaid to make other colors. But those who said red, yellow, and blue aren't wrong. This is a subtractive color mixing I mentioned. These are the primary colors for things that don't emit light. Your paints, inks, textiles, and so on. They reflect the incident light that falls on them. Essentially, we start with white and then subtract light at different wavelengths as we add the primaries. Subtractive colors reflect less light when they are mixed together. Mixing paint, for example, absorbs some light-making colors, making them darker or duller than the parent color. The colors we learned about in school are able to be mixed together to create the remaining other colors of the rainbow, but orange, green, and violet can't be mixed to create red, blue, and yellow, which is why in the art world, those are the primary colors. And just to add an extra layer of complexity, if you do much printing, you might also consider a third set of primary colors, cyan, magenta, and yellow. According to Mark Fairchild, professor and director of the Program of Color Science, Munsell Color Science Laboratory at Rochester Institute of Technology in New York, the subtractive primary colors aren't actually blue, red, and yellow, but are truly cyan, magenta, and yellow. Apparently, we call them blue and red instead of cyan and magenta because of how much light reaches our eyes. But if using red, blue, and yellow, the array of colors would actually be much more limited and so much more desaturated. Cyan is red absorbing, magenta is grain absorbing, and yellow is blue absorbing, just like it is in RGB. So we know that the primary colors are red, blue, and green. Or red, blue, and yellow. Or cyan, magenta, and yellow. Kind of depends on who you ask and how they're using the colors. So what about secondary colors? Do you know what those are? No, not off the top of my head. Aren't all colors secondary after that? So green, orange, and purple? Orange, green, purple. Green, orange, purple. Green, purple, orange. I think that's all. Orange, purple. That's all I can think of. Orange, purple, green. Green, orange, purple. If we're talking about art class. All the other ones that are mixed together. <laughs> Maybe before you listened to the last part, you thought, hands down, it was purple, orange, and green. No questions asked. But now, I'm guessing you're wondering if secondary colors are also up for debate? If you are, 
then you're absolutely right. Just like we did with primary colors, we have additive secondaries and subtractive secondary colors. And as was the case for the primary colors, the additive secondaries have to do with light being added. So the secondary colors for red, green, blue, well, cyan, magenta, and yellow, of course. Essentially, if you were to take a blue light and shine it over a green light, the resulting color would be cyan. And if you took that same blue light and overlapped a red light, you're going to see magenta. And if you overlapped a red light with a green light, you guessed it, yellow. And the fun part, if you overlap all three in equal amounts, the color is white. If what we've already learned so far continues to hold true, then when we get to subtractive secondaries as they relate to art, ink, and textiles, it should be orange, green, and purple. That's what we learned in elementary school, right? Well, the answer is yes and no. If you take out some paint and apply equal parts of red to yellow, you will get orange. Red and blue are going to give you purple, and blue and yellow will give you green. But if you consider Fairchild's earlier proposition that using red, green, and blue is incorrect, and that we should be using cyan, magenta, and yellow, then yep, an additional set of secondary colors. Red, blue, and green. Oy vey. So we've talked about colors and how they're made. But if you remember, what I was really wondering was why do certain colors have specific meanings to us? Why do I know to stop when I see red and go when I see green? Are there other colors that convey meanings without any additional information? All right, I'm going to start with traffic lights. We all know to go on green and stop on red. Has it always been that way? Well, yes and no. Our current system can largely thank railroad companies. Red was used to mean stop due to its long wavelength and ability to be seen from a farther distance. And since that decision to make red mean stop, red has continued to alert people and transportation to stop, with the short-lived exception of yellow stop signs for a period until high visibility reflective coatings became available because yellow was easier to see at night than red. As far as green means go though, that hasn't always been the case. Back to the railway companies. We know they used red to indicate stop, but at first they used a white light to give the all clear and green to indicate proceed with caution. The problem with the white lights, however, was that at night, bright stars in the distance were mistaken as the white go-ahead light. Eventually, the rail companies moved the green color to mean go and introduced yellow to mean proceed with caution since it was easily distinguishable from both red and green. This has been the standard for traffic flow ever since. Do you think they are international or limited to the United States? Probably just limited to the United States. Uh, I think it varies completely from other countries. Yeah. No, I think that for the most part, you are gonna see green means go, red means stop, but you are gonna see variations in different countries. All over the world. Some of it, I believe, is international. It's probably not just the United States, but I know some different, some other places in the world uses different colors. In the case of traffic lights, there is international traffic law that indicates that green, yellow, and red should be used to help ensure safety of international road traffic. This is the Geneva Convention on Road Traffic, which came into force in 1952 
and was eventually replaced by the Vienna Convention on Road Traffic in 1968 with more updated rules. These conventions included the Protocol on Road Signs and Signals. Every country that is part of the convention must adhere to the agreed-upon signals. This proved to be somewhat of a problem for one country in particular, Japan. Originally in Japanese, there were only words for four basic colors, black, white, red, and blue. Apparently, to describe something green, you would use the word for blue, which was aoi. Sometime around the end of the first millennium, the word midori, which meant sprout, began to be used to describe green, but it was thought of as a shade of blue. The first traffic lights in Japan were green, but traffic manuals and documents referred to the color as aoi instead of midori. In 1973, the Japanese government compromised by mandating that traffic lights use the bluest shade of green possible while technically still being green. Blue enough to be called aoi, but green enough to be in compliance with international traffic law. There are other common color associations, such as black being associated with death. Long ago, people did not know what happened after death, so they represented death with black, similar to how at night when their eyes would be closed and they slept, they'd see nothing but black. Purple is the color of royalty, and it's because of the rarity of the dye originally used to produce it. Tyrian purple was produced from a small mollusk that was only found in a specific region of the Mediterranean Sea near Tyre. More than 9,000 mollusks were needed to create just one gram of the Tyrian purple. Only the very wealthy could afford this luxurious color, and sumptuary laws from ancient Rome to Elizabethan England forbade anyone except for the royal family from wearing it. So we've talked a little today about what colors are and their symbolisms, but now let's venture a little deeper in this rabbit hole and talk about colors as art. How do you think colors and art evolved over time? Not a clue. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they made different color dyes with what they could find in nature originally, and yeah, it was more of a paint, I guess. Natural materialities from the world. Like, example, red dirt. There's like, you use flowers and stuff to color first, and then paints. I don't know. Caveman art. They would combine substances, like some people, and take like the color of clay and water to make red, or leaves and water, and they'd mash it up to make green. Um, yeah, I guess initially, you know, using mud or other colors found in nature diluted or you know mixed with water to create something to to mark with to the point where they're now being created uh, with dyes and things like that by mixing dirt it evolved from there they this, they figured out how to make formulas for different types of paint like tempura uses egg yolk. It did start as cave paintings, but once they were able to like ma maybe mash flowers and you got your yellows and your reds and then eventually it just became like, man, this is pretty and just combining all those things. I mean, yeah, I think, I think today we're still finding colors. It is widely accepted that art started with cave paintings as far back as 30,000 BC. These prehistoric artists used naturally occurring pigments such as red iron oxide, carbon black, and calcite white, which they mixed with spit or animal fat. They then used feathers, twigs, and animal hair to depict their stories on the cave walls. 
other early artists also used nature to create their palettes. An early form of yellow was reportedly made from the urine of cows that were force-fed a diet of mango leaves, which they could not digest efficiently. The urine was collected and dried, which produced a small and malodorous ball of raw pigment called puree. Egyptians gave us mummy brown, or caput mortem, by grinding up the remains of mummies and mixing it with pitch and myrrh. This allowed for painters in the pre-Raphaelite period to paint flesh tones and shadows more easily. Though when many found out how the color was made, some refused to continue to use it. Artists for centuries have found ways to bring their visions to life, making colors out of whatever they could get their hands on, no matter how gross it may seem to us now. During the early civilized era, art became something primarily for the wealthy and educated to consume. Thankfully, these days, however, even children have access to a wide array of colors from the time they're toddlers, thanks to crayons. When do you think crayons were invented? Ooh, I think like in the, around the nine, 9,000s? <laughs> I don't know. Well, we're only in 2,000 now. Um, like nine, 1980 or something. Oh, 40s? It's just dyed wax, maybe um, after the Dark Ages, I guess. 1914. 1543. The late 1800s. No clue. Who do I you feel th- like they've been around for a long, long time, though. Mm. Um, maybe the 30s? I don't know. <laughs> um, I want to say early 1900s. Crayons are a stick of pigmented wax, which are generally child-safe due to being blunt, inexpensive, and typically non-toxic. They are usually made out of paraffin wax, which is heated and cooled, then dyed. Pliny the Elder, hey, he came up in the moon episode too, is thought to have described the first techniques of wax crayon drawings back in the first century, although it wasn't utilizing the crayon as a handheld tool like we think of today when we think of crayons. Da Vinci used tools similar to crayons with oil pastels in 1495. Conte crayons from France, which was a hybrid between a pastel and the conventional crayon, was used in the late 1790s. Crayons appear in literature such as Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice in the early 1800s. So crayons, in some fashion, have been around for hundreds of years. But do you know who invented the modern crayons that we all use today? No. I have no idea. Crayola. Crayola. Mm, J.P. Crayon. Whoever started the Crayola company? I don't know. Mm, Crayola. Crayola. Sir Crayola of Sandwich. This is another It Depends answer. The Franklin Manufacturing Company, founded in 1876 in Rochester, New York, was one of the first companies to make and sell wax crayons displaying their crayons at the World Columbian Exposition in 1883. In the late 1880s, Charles A. Bowley of Massachusetts developed wax coloring crayons by making clumps of colored wax for leather marking that he shaped into manageable cylinder shapes like a pencil. He packaged his crayons into decorative boxes and sold them to stationery stores and to clients. His version had become too popular for him to manage on his own, and he partnered with the American Crayon Company for production in 1902. Edwin Biney and C. Harold Smith were already established in the coloring market. 
1902, they developed and introduced the Stayonal marking crayon, which Edwin's wife, Alice, coined as Crayola in 1903. She combined the French word for chalk, cray, and the first part of oleaginous, which was another name for the paraffin wax used to make the crayon. The duo quickly capitalized on the popularity and sold a variety of sizes and colors in boxes. The most recognizable brand was the Crayola Gold Medal line in yellow boxes. Named thus for the gold medal they won at the 1904 St. Louis World's Fair. Originally eight assorted colors, the yellow box featured their gold medal as part of the design, a design we are all familiar with today. Color has been such an inherent part of our life, whether as light or as science or as art. It is used to express action without words. We use colors to describe feelings. Blue, calm, uh, black, depression. Blue, sad. Red, anger. Like black, sadness. Calming um, color. Also, I think rage when I see red. Bright colors, happiness. We have favorite colors. Mm, green. Green and blue. Uh, see green. My favorite color is purple. Dark pink. Blue. Green. Um, all of the colors. For all kinds of different reasons. Just because I, it's calming. I don't know why. I just like them. Because it appeals. And I like water. Um, there's no particular reason other than it just looks really pretty. <laughs> and my favorite color is constantly changing. Not sure why it's my favorite color. I used to hate pink. Because it's peaceful. Because it's very calming. Because it's hard to pick one and they're all so pretty. We have colors that we just don't like for whatever reason. Yellow. It's too cheery. Probably yellow and it's for a very narcissistic reason. It just, I never feel like it looks good on me. <laughs> Probably yellow. But again, I don't know why. Red. Because it's angry. Brown. It's plain. I don't really have a least favorite, but like if I had to pick one, like, like a like a like a gross green, like a poo green, like a like a just nasty green. So there's bad greens and good greens. We sing songs about colors. Colors. Um, first one that comes to mind is Red by Taylor Swift. Yellow submarine. Colors of the wind. Purple rain. Yellow submarine. <laughs> and there are movies about colors. Um, turning red. Okay. The color purple. <laughs> Um, the movie Red that came out recently from Disney. We are immersed in color, which makes this world a truly beautiful place to be. Thank you so much for joining me today as we went down a particularly swirly rabbit hole. I had fun digging into colors and I hope you enjoyed listening. For your additional listening pleasure and for a little fun, I put together a rainbow theme playlist for you all starting with one of my very favorite songs, Colors by Black Pumas, and going through three songs of every color in Roy G. Biv. Find the link in the show notes to explore some auditory usage of color in song. And please note that while this podcast is perfectly suitable for all ages, discretion should be used with the accompanying playlist for this episode. I look forward to the next time we come together to wonder about something new. And until then, be safe, be kind, and stay curious. The Welcome to Wonderland podcast is copyrighted by Ami Bland and is part of the Barrett Gruber Entertainment Division. 
This podcast is recorded in the Maddie Johnson Podcast Studio at GOT Sounds Studio in Columbia, South Carolina. Any thoughts or opinions expressed as part of this production are those of the host unless otherwise indicated. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Please follow, like, and share this podcast. Find us on Facebook at Welcome to Wonderland the Podcast and on Twitter at Wonderland underscore pod. To submit corrections, additional information, or requests for episodes, please email the host at Welcome to Wonderland the Podcast at gmail.com. Welcome to Wonderland as part of the GOT Podcast Network and a product of Barrett Gruber Entertainment and Media.